0: Well, Chad and um, other pastors and staff, I'm just super thankful to, to have the opportunity. So thank you guys for reaching out to me uh, to bring, bring God's word. Like Chad said, I'm Thomas. I'm from Clemson, South Carolina, and I'm a resident at Cross Point Church, and I work with the college ministry. And I just wanted to say I'm so thankful for King's Church. Uh, my family and I are always blessed in our visits to come here to Charlotte to see you guys. And one thing we always notice about King's Church is that you guys are a family, truthfully. You guys worship as a family, you do life together, and Haley and I and our church, Crosspoint, is super challenged and encouraged and thankful for the way that you guys live life as a family. So you guys can go ahead and, and turn your Bible to Exodus 32. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in front of you. Uh, and you can turn to page 67 of that Bible to find Exodus 32. Every week in Exodus, you guys have been seeing God's desire to be with his people. Through the story of Exodus, God is, is, is going to dwell with his people to the tabernacle. And so it, the, the whole book of Exodus has been a journey through that. So you might be wondering, you know, God, he called the people out of slavery from the Egyptians you know, he calls him to build a tabernacle. So what does the story of the golden calf have to do with the theme of God wanting to be with his people? Well, he does. He wants to be with his people, but there's a problem. And the problem is his people are not like him. His people are sinful. And God and sin cannot live together. Next chapter in Exodus 33, Moses asks God, he says, show me your glory. And God responds to him and says this, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. So the story you're about to read emphasizes the problem. But it also further proves that God still desires to be with his people, even through their failings. And they simply cannot hide the fact that they are, they are sinful people. And that's going to be on display in, in today's passage. I'm wondering what's something about yourself that you can't hide. Maybe it comes up in a conversation with someone you meet for the first time. You know, maybe it's a personality trait or an interest of yours. For me, it's the fact that I'm a new dad. Right? I feel like in the past year, I've, I've, every time I meet someone new, they will walk away from the conversation knowing one thing about me. And it's that I'm a dad to Sally James. Even me bringing it up in this sermon right now is is pretty pretty on brand for me considering the past year and every sermon I've preached, there's been a Sally James illustration. Like I just, I bring her up. I cannot hide the fact that I am a dad. Something that all of us can't hide, something we all have in common is the fact that we are similar to the Israelites and that we are flawed, messy, sinful people. And while the while the events in the book of Exodus happened roughly four thousand years ago, people really haven't changed much. We are stiff-necked like the Israelites. We are stubborn like them, and it's going to come out of us. People are going to see it. We know it. It's something we can't hide. I can't hide the fact that oftentimes I'm I'm lazy. I'm passive. If you spend time with me, you'll learn that pretty quickly about me. You'll see it in my life. No matter how hard I try, I will mess up. You and I, this is our nature. We are naturally bad people. But praise God, because he has supernaturally in his great love kept us. He still wants to be with us. He still wants to dwell with us, even when we've disobeyed him. Christians today, you and me, are still God's people through the forgiveness of our sins through Jesus. And this passage right here foreshadows Jesus, like Moses, is our representative before God. And he counts us righteous only based on his righteousness. We are forgiven once and for all because Jesus stands between us and God. And because Jesus is our mediator, God is able to keep covenant with us and he does keep his covenant with us to love us to be with us to that we would be his his people he would be our God and our big idea is that that God keeps his covenant with us let me pray Lord just thank you for this opportunity to bring your word I do pray that the word would do the work and I pray Lord that you would um, strengthen King's Church strengthen the believers in the room Lord that they would be um, unified They'd be one body, and they would love you. They'd put off their sin. They would confess their sin in truth. But Lord, remember that you are a God who loves us even in the midst of our sin through Jesus. So I do pray that that we would see that in the text today. Praise in Jesus' name, Amen. It's amazing that God keeps His covenant with us, considering how deep our sin is. And that's our first point: that our sin runs deep. So, look with me, in Exodus 32, verses 1 through 6, it says this When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters. Bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And Aaron, he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So as y'all have been reading in Exodus, Moses, he went to the top of Mount Sinai to meet with God. We see that in Exodus 19. And all the way from there up until this point, God has been giving direct revelation to Moses. And this story right here in 32 interrupts this instruction to Moses. And no matter how many time, no, no, no matter how many times God was faithful to His people, Israel felt the need to take matters into their own hands. So here's a few examples of how Israel failed before God in the incident of the golden calf. First. They were impatient. Instead of waiting for the Lord to give direction to Israel through Moses, they decided to to take things into their own hands. They lacked faith that God still desired to be with his people. They were prideful. The first example of pride is that they thought they could make an image out of their own hands and worship that. Then they claimed that it was that God that they made with their hands who brought them out of slavery. Then they claim, we don't need Moses anymore. They don't need him to meet with God. They say, we do not know what has become of him. This is like trying to put a house key in a car's ignition. It just won't turn. It won't work. The Israelites needed Moses to get to God. He was God's chosen mediator. Yet here they say that they don't need him. Say, so take their jewelry and worship something that isn't God, which is idolatry. The Israelites knew the commandments that were laid out in Exodus 20. If this is the second commandment. It says this: You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, or any likeness, or anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, Am a jealous God. While some might think Israel was worshiping a new deity, it, verse six shows us that they were actually just trying to make a physical representation of Yahweh, of God, and that they were going to feast to Him. But this mean, this this doesn't this does not mean there wasn't idolatry. There was the second commandment. God says, "Don't make a carved image of Me." Tony Marita, he's a pastor up in Wake Forest. Uh, He says this, a warning to the church based on Israel's idolatry. He says, be careful. You can do things in the name of the Lord, but still not worship the Lord. You can have some orthodox acts of worship, like a feast, but worship unacceptably. Next, we see the Israelites were stiff-necked. That's the language God used to describe them. They were stubborn. The Israelites lived in Egyptian culture for years, right, before, they, before the exile. And they saw that the Egyptians worshiped physical gods. And as they traveled through the wilderness, they complained. You guys saw this before. They were hungry, they were thirsty, and they claimed that they wanted to go back to Egypt because at least they had food there. One commentator says this once again, it was proving to be more difficult to get Egypt out of the Israelites than it was to get the Israelites out of Egypt. They were going back to the very people that enslaved them. That's what they wanted. Friends, we do the same thing. We go back to the very sin that enslaved us. Next, they were forgetful. In Psalm 106, the psalmist actually refers back to this incident and in verse 21, This is what he writes about the Israelites. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. Israel has already forgotten the fact that God freed them from slavery. There was literally locusts falling from the sky to plague the Egyptians. God literally parted the waters of the Red Sea so that they may escape yet they forgot we forget things all the time I'm a very forgivable person you can ask my wife that just the other just the other week we were having Zaxby's and we got a little you know five piece combo just to split and um, you know that's not an even number so we had to split the last tender right and so I said hey I'll take a few bites and then I'll pass it off to you you know when I'm halfway done I ate the whole thing you know literally 10 seconds before when I said that I forgot that I said I ate the whole thing I do that stuff all the time. But worse than forgetting trash day or forgetting a grocery item, we forget God. We forget our Savior who has done great things for us. If you were a Christian, Jesus, he saved you. He has taken you away from the slavery of your sin. He has adopted you into his family. He's promised you eternal life, yet we so often turn our backs on him. We are Israel in this story. We are Israel. We are impatient. We think we don't need God. We idolize things. We idolize money, sports teams, people, our Instagram feeds. We are stubborn, stiff-necked. The text here shows us our inability to please God. Our sin runs deep. But unfortunately, there's more. Look down with me at verse 15 through 24. We'll come back to 7 in a minute. Here, the Lord calls Moses to go down the mountain to confront the people about their failing. Pick up in verse 15. So Moses turned down, went down the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. Tablets that were written on both sides. On the front and on the back, they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, "There is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. The text says they were singing to this idol instead of singing to God in truth. Verse 19, and as soon as he came near the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing. Moses' anger burned hot. He threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire, ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the people of Israel drink it. See the emphasis in verse 16. The tablets, the Ten Commandments that God had written was not simply a work of Moses, not simply a work of man, but it was God's words so that God's words could confront Israel. So whenever you're you're in your daily life, someone doesn't agree with the gospel or they don't agree with what the Bible says, they don't disagree with you, they disagree with God. So you could take comfort in that. you You don't bear the weight of that. God does and he's able to. Because the word teaches against creating an idol, Moses, as we saw, destroys the idol. Not only did he destroy it, what did he make them do? He made them drink the powder from the crushed idol. The idol was completely destroyed. It was completely dealt with, and it left their body as waste, which symbolizes how God viewed the idol. Waste. After Moses confronts the people, he turns their leader, Aaron, his own brother, and confronts him. Verse 21, Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my lord my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. After this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, let anyone who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me. I threw it in the fire, out came this calf. Instead of humbly admitting his faults, Aaron shifts the blame he blames Israel he downplays his involvement in the creation of the idol he says you know the people they're set on evil it's their fault Moses not mine they're even throwing shade on your name bro they asked me to do it I just threw the stuff in the fire out came this calf we see how ridiculous this is this is like the classic situation and you get in trouble with your parents, right, because all your friends were doing it, and they're like, well, if, if, you, if your friendship off the cliff, would you? It's like, no, no, Aaron, stand firm on your conviction. Stand firm on the fact that you are a leader. But instead, he, he caved to the ways of the people. So you can add, add lying to the list of Israel's failings. Not only did he shift the blame, but he lied. If you remember verse 4, It says that Aaron fashioned the idol with a graving tool. It's clear that he did not just throw it in the fire and it came out. He took time, he carved it, he carefully shaped the calf. He lied about his failings. Would we own our brokenness? God is telling us in the story that we, like the Israelites, are broken. So when we admit our brokenness, we agree with God. It is godly for you to recognize your sinful nature. That is what God says of us, let's agree with him. Some application here. I wanna challenge you guys, King's Church, to specifically confess your sins to one another. Whether it's uh, a spouse, someone who keeps you accountable, small group leader, pastor, other church member, Specifically confess your sins to each other. Don't be like Aaron in your confession. While he admitted he was the one who gathered the gold, he claimed it really wasn't that bad. It really wasn't his fault. You know the people. That's what he said. We might say, you know my coworker. You know what they're like. You know how I am when I'm tired. You know how I am when I'm hungry. Humbly admits your faults, repents, and move on. We've seen Israel's sin on display in the story, and ultimately, we are like Israel, and that our sin runs deep. And the Bible teaches that the wages of sin is death, so we deserve punishment for our sin. God is a God who's, who's just, He's good, and He's a judge. He would not be good if He did not reward what was good. And punish what's bad. So we deserve judgment. Verse 25. When Moses saw that the people had broken loose. For Aaron had let them break loose. To the derision of their enemies. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp. And said. Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. Put your sword on your side. Each of you go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. This is hard to read, but it's God's word, so we must read it. In an evangelistic illustration that I use on campus at Clemson to, to help illustrate the fact that God must uh, reward what's good and punish what's bad as I put someone in a courtroom situation. So if you are a judge and I am someone who is guilty, let's say I admit, yes, I've done wrong, I've, I'm a murderer, what would my sentence be? You would simply say, well, you know, you're guilty. Like, you're probably going away for life. That's what you deserve. And I would agree with them in that moment. But then I might say, this is kind of how our culture views it. But sir, what about all the good things that I've done? But sir, what about the time that I gave? My money, my time, my talents. What about that? This is just one mistake. Doesn't my good outweigh my bad? And if they're the judge... I would say no, like we need to we need to lock you up. We need to take you away from the rest of society. Because that would be loving. That would be good. The judge would not be good if he let the guilty go free. This is how our God judges. This is what he does. He sees who is on his side, who is with him, who loves him, and if you're not on his side, there's Judgment waiting. But God has made a way to be merciful to the people of Israel. Yes, 3,000 men died, they were executed. A commentator estimates that 3,000 Israelites was only 0.5% of the population. And verse 3 tells us that everyone was guilty. It says, all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron, all the people. So while all the people deserved judgment, only 3,000, only 0.5% were executed. This was only made possible through Moses mediating for Israel. Or simply put, Moses asked God to have mercy on Israel And God, his love and his mercy is shown in this passage by relenting his anger. Which brings us to our second point. While our sin runs deep, God's love runs deeper. He loves us even in the midst of our brokenness. He loved Israel, wanted to be with Israel so much that he allowed Moses to mediate. So in verses, we'll go back to verse 7 now. Verses 7 through 9, Moses finds out what happened. He found out that Israel had created an idol, and God tells him to go down. He says this to Moses in verse 10. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, that I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. But, verse 11, Moses implored the Lord his God and said, "Oh Lord. Why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them in the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven. And all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. Verse 14, And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. God's love is put on display in this passage based on the fact that he relented from rightfully consuming all of them. So, a question that arises is Did God change his mind? Right? It seems as if Moses' prayer swayed his will. At first, he said he'd consume everyone, then he says he, re- he would relent. No, God did not change his mind. God and his love was always going to relent. In eternity past, God created a way through the mediator, Moses who would be able to stand before Israel and God and ask for God's mercy on the people. And in turn he passed, God would have said, yes, this is what Moses did. Moses did not change God's plans. Rather, he carried them out. God and his love allowed for this to happen. For there to be a mediator to pray to God for him to relent his, his judgment. This is who Jesus is for us. 1 Timothy 2.5 says this, For there is one God and one mediator, also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then Jesus will stand before you and God. He will, he will gladly pay the price for your sin. He will give an account to God based on his righteousness. He is able to take on God's wrath that he stored up for you, and he's still willing to relent his wrath for the loss. Another application point right here. Would this church, like Moses, boldly pray to God to have mercy on the lost? Would you pray that God would save the non-believers that you have relationships with? If you see verse 31, Moses tried to take on God's wrath. He said, hey, I I will, he said, blot me out of your book, which has all the names of the people who live. He wanted to take on God's wrath, but he was a man, a mere man. Look at verse 31. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now... If you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written, a book with the names of all who live. But verse 33 says this, the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Jesus, unlike Moses, was not only a man, he was God in the flesh. Jesus was able to absorb the full wrath that God owed us. So God is able to keep his covenant with us because Jesus stands in between us and God. God says in his covenant, if you are righteous, then I will love you. I will be with you forever. The problem is, we see in this passage, we aren't that. We don't love him. We we aren't righteous. So we need him. We need Jesus who lived the life that we couldn't live, died the death that we deserve, and defeated death in his resurrection. Not just a few sins, but all of sin, once and for all. And friends, if you come to him in faith, not because of your good works, he will make you righteous by his works. Allowing us to be with God forever. Allowing God to keep his covenant with us. So maybe you've stumbled in here this morning, you don't believe in Jesus, believe in him today. He is willing to take you on. He's willing to join you to his family. His sacrifice was once for all. It was not bound by geography as it looked like in the Old Testament. No, it's throughout the whole world, accessible to anyone who comes in faith. Believe in Jesus. Admit your need to him and come to him by faith. So as we wrap up, see God's mercy. In these last two verses, as he says, he'll continue to go with them. Ben, you guys can go ahead and come up. Verse 34 says this. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And the Lord sent a plague upon the people they made the calf the one that Aaron made so while God could have in his righteousness wiped Israel clean similar to the flood because of the idol they created he didn't he didn't he says continue continue and my angel will follow you he will go before you God still desires to be with his people and then next week you're going to want to come back Because you're going to see at the end of Exodus, God coming into the tabernacle to be right with his people. So, the covenant God made with Abraham continues with Moses and the Israelites, even though they broke the covenant. God kept both sides of the agreement. This is what he does for believers today in Jesus Christ. We are the new covenant people. We get to walk in freedom from the bondage of sin because Jesus has paid our debt completely. He is the best mediator, and he loves us unconditionally. While our sin runs deep, his grace runs deeper. He keeps his covenant with us. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that you love us even in the midst of our sin. I do pray, Lord, that we would be encouraged to confess our sin in truth. We wouldn't shy away from our sin. We would just simply, we'd simply confess it. And Lord, I also pray that we would we'd pray for those who don't know you, that they would come to know you, that we'd be bold like Moses. But Lord, we just are so grateful for Jesus who has saved us, making us the new covenant people that regardless of our, of our past, present, and future, you love us because of what he's done. So what I pray for the rest of this service that we would worship you in truth and we come to you boldly knowing that that we are able to enter your presence through Jesus, the best mediator. And Lord, I pray all this in, in his name. Amen.